Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Capital Weekly Podcast. I am Capital Weekly Editor Rich Eisen. Uh, you probably haven't heard my voice a lot lately because I haven't been here a lot lately. And so kudos to Tim Foster for holding up uh, the four, or holding down the four, I should say. Well, I've been out for a variety of things, you name it, you know, uh, but I'm back now. Tim, how are you doing today? I am well. Good, good. And I'm glad to hear that. Uh, we have a great guest with us today. Uh, so I'm really glad to be back because uh, we're joined today by uh, Cal Matters. A uh, fairly new executive editor, Kristen Go. Kristen, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, we're yeah, we're really thrilled to have you. Let's just, I say, get right into it. Which is, you've been how long have you been there now in the in the new position? Oh, I'm coming up on um, a very long, maybe almost two months. Two months. Yeah. Well, as another newbie, I've been here since January. So. Uh, I, I I feel the uh, the simpatico to some extent of trying to take on a, a big new role, but you this is not really your first rodeo in terms of uh, being in charge of a lot of what's going on in the newsroom. Um, and I jumped right into it pretty fast. If you live under a rock or in a cave somewhere and you don't know what Cal Matters is, Cal, Cal Matters is uh, also here in the Sacramento area covering the capital. Uh, grown in the last what eight or nine years from a from an upstart that was a something of a partner of ours to now you're one of the bigger uh, nonprofit news organizations anywhere, which is really damned impressive. So uh, that's the quick backstory for anybody who might have parachuted in from some someplace else. But now, uh, Kristen, you're in charge of this. So tell us a little bit about what what brought you to Cal Matters. Yeah, I, you know, I am a native Californian. I was born and raised in Stockton. I left briefly for college and to do some to do some journalism in other states in Colorado and Arizona. And my goal is always to come back home, which I was able to do when I uh, moved back here in 2008 to join the San Francisco Chronicle. And when I was at the Chronicle, uh, there was this little startup called Cal Matters, and they happened to come up at a time when a lot of news organizations were pulling resources, reporting resources out of the Capitol. And I remember thinking, well, what is this organization? And it was very clear by reading their stories that they were incredibly thoughtful. They provided the kind of statewide coverage that other organizations couldn't provide that local news organizations couldn't provide by pulling their um, their Sacramento reporters out because everybody was trying to cut costs, and that was my very first exposure to Cal Matters. And since then, it's grown from, as you said, just a handful of reporters to now we're a newsroom of just over 60. Uh, we provide comprehensive coverage throughout the state, looking at the intersection of policy and how it impacts people. Uh, so when I was looking at what I wanted to do next, uh, this position, the editor-in-chief position was open and I started having conversations with them. And as and when you look at the kind of journalism that's happening at Cal Matters, it's having an impact on our state and in a positive way, whether it is 
um, calling into question, you know, how money is being spent, like our recent investigation into prison rehabilitation. We looked at how the state has spent $600 million at prison rehabilitation programs, yet they haven't been tracking the success of the program or what recidivism rates look like. Um, And as we were reporting that story, the state said, yes, we're going to start tracking this. That's the kind of accountability that I think the citizens of California deserve. That's the kind of journalism that I want to be a part of, that I want to help lead, um, and that I want to help promote so that we can make California a better informed place and a better place to live. You know, and it's it's funny you say that uh, because those kinds of things where you know, a news organization would be doing an investigation and then that would spur government action. That used to be fairly common. 20 years ago, uh, when newsrooms were more stable and had, you know, basically funding from the classified ads, you know, for the most part, uh, that was something we all took for granted and that would happen quite a bit. And as, you know, the newsrooms have really shrunk, that is happening less and less and less, particularly at state level. And now we're really seeing that at the local level. You know, before we started our podcast, we were talking about the fact that the locals are still really receding and they are not, they have not come back at all in a way. I feel like the state coverage has, there's Cal Matters, which I can't believe has 60 people. That's incredible. Uh, As a staff of, uh, you know, generally three or four people here at Capital Weekly, 60 is sort of inconceivable. Uh, but then there's also Political California and the LA Times is has been expanding a little bit, although I think they did just lay some people off very recently. But yeah, it's it's it was amazing to watch CalMatters start and then just bloom, really. And we're still on a growth trajectory. And that's really unusual in media right now. But I think in part, it's because of what we're doing, how we're doing it. And there is a desire philanthropically and from our readers to say, yes, we want and we need more of this. Um, You know, an informed society is a good society. Uh, I think CalMatters has probably grown every single year of its existence. Um, and, And when you compare that to what's happening in traditional media, they're going the exact opposite way of having cuts almost every single year um, to the point where, you know, some news organizations maybe have just one reporter. So that's part of where I think CalMatters can help benefit other places across the state. We provide our coverage for free. We are not behind a paywall. We say to any organization that who wants to use it, you can use our coverage. And if they use our coverage, that frees them up to do the local reporting, what's happening at their city or town council, what's happening at their city or, or, you know, their local school board. Um, We can help provide that state perspective for them. You know, I think um, for me, that's a really important thing to note here too, because, you know, newspapers by design are designed to cover their local communities, you know, or for at least from a local perspective. And, you know, Cal Matters by by dent of name should be obvious. You're, you're, you know, you're covering matters of importance to the whole state, but you've, because of the fact you've been able to grow and you've been able to cover this incredibly diverse state a, a little more up and down than say even the Times or, you know, in the old days, the B or the Cron Cam, because you don't have to just be focused in, in one area. 
And that's really important. And when you're trying to understand something as, as complicated as housing, because the housing situation in the Central Valley is not the same as the housing situation in the Bay Area or LA. And context, when you're trying to solve a really intense, uh, complicated problem like that is really, really critical. So I've really admired how that's one issue, but there's a couple of other issues. Mental health is another one that comes to mind of late. So you guys have done a really good job of being able to give the kind of context from a lot of different um, geographic perspectives that we're, we just don't see that often in, in most newsrooms anymore because barely can cover what's in their own backyard. So that, if you don't mind, expound on that just a little bit on that perspective of how you can cover issues um, in a state as diverse as this one. Yeah, California is a complex place, right? There's 39 million people here. We've got one of, the, I think, like the fifth biggest economy in the world. So we're not a monolith uh, by any stretch of the imagination. And I think when it was initially, when um, CalMatters was initially founded, it had a very Sacramento focus because that's where you are seeing journalists being taken from. But as CalMatters has grown, we have seen the benefit of having um, reporters in different communities. We have reporters in San Diego, Los Angeles, Bakersfield, Fresno, Sacramento, Oakland, San Francisco. Uh, we probably need some more people up north. But uh, but we have that geographic diversity to be the eyes and ears in those communities that doesn't necessarily mean we're covering the local councils there, but we are looking at the issues and can bring that perspective, um, you know, in a much more comprehensive way than if you are just in a local community. When you think, for example, about our education coverage, we've got our college journalism network, which takes college students from across the state to help provide coverage from their communities. We've got two higher education reporters, and then we've got K through 12 reporters. That that's probably one of the biggest education desks in the entire state. And I would say probably across the nation, there aren't very many places that have that kind of bandwidth to be able to cover issues in such a comprehensive way. Because we are not in, um, we our model is not covering breaking news. We're not covering trending news. We're not covering the things that are just there for clicks, we're really looking at what are the substantive issues that are facing Californians. That allows us to really be able to focus on um, the things that are, are are the biggest issues in California right oh, right now. Um, and part of that goes back to we are a nonprofit. Uh, we don't have to pay attention to page views and clicks in the same way that for-profits do with their subscriptions and their page views. You know, one thing uh, you mentioned when we were talking or before the, before the recording started is that when you were at the Chronicle, you actually used CalMatters uh, content once in a while. And that has been something that I know that when CalMatters first launched, there was a lot of skepticism among journalists across, across the state who were not sure that people would use that content because there was a weird thing like why would you know this is insulting that we can't provide our own content and there was a there was a real belief that that was a, a something that was not necessarily going to happen and you've actually successfully done that or I should say Cal matters you you weren't here yet uh, 
CalMatters has successfully done that. And in fact, some of the partnerships have been fascinating. There was a Capital Public Radio series. Uh, I think it was called The View From Here uh, that CalMatters partnered with them that I thought was very well done. And then there was uh, Gimme Shelter, which you partnered with uh, the LA Times to do just an ass-kicking housing podcast. So I think you've really been successful in something that you pioneered. That really was not happening, at least in California, to my eyes, prior to Cal Matters. Absolutely. I mean, when it launched, it was nobody wants to take from somebody else. You want to be the one who's covering things. But I think the climate's really changed. As you've seen, uh, media organizations have to contract and not be able to cover things in the same way that they were before. Um, We have more than 250 media partners across the state in part because what we are doing is we are allowing them to use it for free as long as they give us credit. We want people to read our stories. We want to make it accessible to people. Um, And because again, an informed public is, is, is a good thing for us. And so that's something that we really believe in these kinds of partnerships. We have really strong relationships with different radio partners. We also have a partnership um, with the Sacramento CBS to do some of our investigations on television as well. So there, I think there's a much bigger willingness now to think about how do you collaborate um, with for-profit in a way that allows the traditional media organizations to focus on what they can do well, how can you use other partners to supplement, to still give a good product to others. Um, There's much more willingness to think about that in a way that wasn't there when, when CalMatters first launched. You know, the partnership aspect of this is, uh, I think, is becoming a really critical thing because we have seen so much contraction around the country. And, you know, I mean, this is not news to anybody, uh, not to not to use a pun there. It's not news. The news is contracting. Uh, but we, we're seeing more nonprofit models, I think, of the Texas Observer and uh, the Connecticut Mirror and, and, and many others around the country. Um, and it seems like a lot of those are thriving with some kind of partnership. Um, as you noted, there's you guys have a couple hundred. Uh, you know, what what other kinds of partnerships might we see in the future? Yeah. So we recently um, had a partnership or started a partnership with Univision to have our content translated and used by Univision. We also work with the Viet Daily, which is based out of Los Angeles, to have our stories um, translated into Vietnamese and make make it available to that publication. Um, we also just uh, posted a position with Voice of San Diego to have a reporter, a Cal Matters reporter, help provide better legislative coverage of the San Diego delegation um, to see what's happening there. You know, when in traditional media has seen each other sometimes as um as, you know, I want to beat the competition. Um, There's just not enough resources now to always have that thought of, I want to beat the competition. It is more of how do we work together to make sure that we can provide more comprehensive coverage. You know, just this week, the the Santa Barbara paper announced that it's closing. You know, there's not the time to have that competitive nature What where we need to be spending our time is thinking about how do we work better together um, to 
to support one another. I think one of the real problems we've seen here, and we've seen it with the B and with many papers, is the wave of uh, papers being bought by hedge funds and private equity firms who then they come in, they bleed the organization dry, and then they sell off the scraps. We, we've certainly seen that. And it would certainly seem that the nonprofit model is, I don't know if it's the only way, but it certainly seems so far to be the most successful way, short of some really philanthropic billionaire coming in uh, to ensure that that a, a news organization can, can thrive. So, you know, Tell me a little bit more, though, about how you see the nonprofit model like yours working out when you're up against that competition of the, you know, of these of these hedge funds and private equity firms. I think because so many have been purchased by hedge funds and private equity, um, it's a perfect space for us because those places have not shown that they care a whole lot about the actual journalism that's being done. Um, if you do, you would be investing more in the actual journalist and, and and looking at the number of people who are who are in newsrooms who are reporting. Um, and I think that because of that, you have seen more people, more foundations. Um, and more people willing to become members or subscribers, willing to pay for content that is good, that they can't get anywhere else. Um, it is still competitive to get funding for nonprofit news, um, but there is that understanding now of why that needs to happen. There are um, traditional news media who are going to foundations to fund specific areas of coverage, but that's not going to solve the bigger picture problem of what's happening in news. I don't think anybody has the answer to that. Otherwise, we'd all be rushing there, right? Um, but I do think you see a proliferation of, of nonprofit media. When I look at when CalMatter started compared to the nonprofit landscape in California now, it has grown exponentially. And that is because there have become so many different news deserts or people are not as happy with the quality of journalism that they have gotten from traditional media. And that's so something that we have to pay attention to as well. So now speaking of solutions to how to fund the news, have you been keeping an eye at all on Assemblymember Wick's bill that would have some of the major media companies, Google, Facebook, et cetera, start paying the news outlets? Have you been paying any attention to that? Would that affect CalMatters or other news organizations uh, yeah. in your view at all? Yeah, I've been paying I've been paying attention to it. I have not followed it as well as as thoroughly as our um as our capital reporters, right? I think there are there are pros and cons. I think the fact that she um you know, she put it on hold is a good thing. Um there have been concerns about um who would actually benefit from this. Uh and I think the extra time can help uh work out some different solutions. I certainly understand why um, media, whether it's for-profit or non-profit, they, you know, they have seen dips because of what's happened from um, some of the major tech companies. 
but I don't know that that was a perfect solution. And I'm just speaking for myself and not for Cal Matters here. Um, but I, I say, I don't know that that's the perfect solution. There is no perfect solution right now. Um, you know, and, and I think, you know, some of the questions revolved around who would actually benefit. Would it be the hedge funds who purchased all of these places or would it be the local places who actually will use this? And I think taking time to figure out how would the money be used if this is passed um, is time well spent. Yeah. And I, I know one of the concerns was what sorts of news, quote unquote, I mean, air quoting news, uh, and that there's concern that if people are, are basically writing clickbait because they'll know that people will read it and repeat it, even if it's really uh, not, it could be misinformation, that that might then ultimately end up getting funded through this. Uh, I am not familiar enough with legislation to know that that's what would actually happen, but I know that that has been something that has been brought up. And then I, you know, extending this, I know that Twitter, which was a very important tool for journalists, uh, getting their getting the word out about important stories, I personally found it very valuable, has really been not as valuable in the last year or so. It just seems like it has become a little, uh, I don't know, the buggy is the correct word, but it's not functioning in the way that I'm used to it functioning a few years ago. And so I know a lot of journalists and a lot of people that work in media, myself included, immediately gravitated to Threads when it launched. And I'm a little concerned that Threads has said, oh, we don't want to you know, we don't really want to focus on a news space. And I thought this is exactly what I want. <laughs> That's what I wanted Twitter for. It's what I really would like threads to do. So it is unfortunate that there's not a good uh, social media app that's really just for news. I wish that there was someone that had a sort of a Twitter type thing or a Facebook type thing or Instagram or threads that was really just aimed at following various newsies. That would be perfect for me, but maybe there's there's probably not money to be made. It sounds like you're looking for a tech partner for a new startup there. Exactly. Well, you know, in the old days, it's uh, what do they call an RSS feed? You just set up a bunch yeah. of RSS feeds. You know, when we started uh, Capital Weekly as a nonprofit, RSS feeds were the lifeblood for us of following what was going on with all the other media. And and I had basically set up my own personal Twitter account as like a RSS feed, just to all these reporters I followed. So I felt yeah. very aware of what was going on and i would love to have something like that so um so yes we'll, we'll be we'll, if you have any ideas for a tech partner that wants to build a basically a social media that's just news whoever's uh, listening call in tim's uh, your buddy <laughs> there you go Kristen, well, i i want to ask i mean again you're new to the job i know one of the first questions that i got you know for probably for a couple of months was so what big changes are you planning to make uh, you know, my answer very honestly at the time was, well, you know, if it's not broken, I'm not going to try to fix it. Right. But but yeah, but you always do have things that you, you bring into a job with you that you think you'd want to get to. So uh, are there any that you can share with us that are not, you know, going to defy company secrets or something along those lines? <laughs> that was the you know, I got that question from staff as well. So, you know that well. Right. I do. Um, Listen, I came to Cal Matters because I felt like it had an incredibly strong foundation for excellent and, and impactful storytelling. And I still feel that's the case. What 
I want to do is make sure that we can continue um, that long tradition that, you know, the, the former editor-in-chief Dave Lesher set up for the organization. Um, the fact that it's been able to thrive in the way that it has is a testament to his vision. Um, and I want to be able to continue that. But as I said, we're an organization that went from six to 60 in eight years, part of what I need to do isn't changing that vision or blowing things up, but figuring out how do we better support that. So as I'm looking at the future, it is really what what support do we need to make sure that those impactful stories stay front and center to what we do day in, day out? Um, that's not a super detailed answer, but that really is um, my hope moving forward. I was drawn because of the really strong stories that they do here. When I look at the impact that it has on the state, it's great. Um, and I want to make sure that, you know, it's great and that more people see and hear and know what we're doing, um, that we have the staff in place to continue telling these stories, that we can also think about how do we reach the larger audience? How do we maybe break some of these stories up for different platforms? Because because that keeps changing as well. But central to everything is that strong journalism, that strong storytelling. Well, speaking of Dave Lesher, you came in and those are pretty big shoes to fill. Uh, so you have your work cut out for you. But Dave Lesher also was working on a new project and you were saying that you're pretty excited about that. Can you talk about what Dave's new project is going to be? Yeah, so Dave is still very much with us, right? He, um, when he launched Cal Matters. The idea was to be able to fill the void of the uh, of the declining um, state house coverage that was happening in Sacramento. But he also wanted to hold, you know, legislators and the state accountable for what's happening. So he's launching something called the Digital Democracy Desk um, to to provide that kind of accountability that he always envisioned. Um, it's still in its early stages. He's still building it. But basically, he's working on a project that would make legislators, that would make lobbyists a little bit more accountable and to, um, and, and to show a little bit more about what's happening. One example is um, he's we're working with Cal Poly San Luis Obispo on this, but taking every single hearing um, and transcribing it and making it searchable to the public. That's just one of the services that his um, that his group is looking to do. We're also looking at lobbying records and voting records and thinking about how do we make that accessible um, so that if you want to know exactly how your legislator voted on every single thing, it is in an easy place to find. If you want to know who's lobbying your legislator, it will be easy to find. Wow, very cool. Yes, I, what would also be cool is if people actually do those things i mean that is, i mean it's one of the real challenges we have in this business you see it yeah. all the time people do great work a lot of places and a lot of times you think it might have big impact and you know we're always dependent on readers responding in yeah. some way or another and i think that's always the challenge we're always going to face is to to how we present information in a way that catches people's attention, not for clicks and all that other stuff that's become part of the modern 
era, but so that they feel that this requires their attention or, and it might, it might impact how they vote or how they look at how they look at the possibilities of, of around them for, for influencing the world a little bit. I'm starting to sound like a, like a poli sci professor here and I don't mean to, but, but that is a big part of what our job is, is, you know, to present information in a way that moves people in some way or another, hopefully well, long. <laughs> you know, I think I actually have the answer here. So as AI advances and gets better, we're basically just going to have news stories read in the voice of either Beyonce or Taylor Swift. And suddenly, we'll make it into a song, right? Exactly. It'll, you know, people will be fascinated if they can just get their pop culture kind of fed into there and they can also hear substantive public policy reporting uh, in the voice of Beyonce. It will be much more oh. interesting. Then doesn't Taylor uh, Taylor Swift like 10 minute songs? That'd be about what it would take to, to read some of this stuff. So yeah, maybe that's the right thing to do. If we could somehow marry the news to the to to engage the Swifties, we could probably change the world. Well, you know, and actually during the Schwarzenegger administration, that sort of happened. All of a sudden, you know, I don't know, Kristen, I don't know if you were here during that period of time, but uh the normal coverage of a press conference for the governor of California would easily fit in the press room at, at the Capitol at that time. Well, when Schwarzenegger came in, suddenly they had to have, I think they went over to the, the convention center because there were so many news media people covering his story, you know, and it certainly wasn't because of his policy bona fides, you know, so, so it has happened before. I'm sure same thing happened with Ronald Reagan to some degree. Yeah, that's definitely not what the press corps looks like these days. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Well, Kristen, thank you so much for coming on, and congratulations on eight years to Cal Matters. Uh, thank that you. was you said it was July was the eight year anniversary. Is that right? Yes, that's a big deal. That's a really big deal. So, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Good luck with all things going forward. Thanks. We'll keep in touch. Um, now, of course, it's time for our favorite uh, segment of the show, which is, of course. Who had the worst week in California politics? The worst week. Worst week. Worst week. And Kristen was smart enough to say, you guys can do that on your own. Yeah, we did. You know, look, I don't want anyone to think we we cut her out of the loop here. We absolutely did not. But she was smart enough, yes, to say, yeah, you guys stick your foot into that bear trap. I don't think I need to. So, Tim, so who's up today? Well, I think this is a tough one because it's, it's first of it happened apparently a month or so ago. And also it is, I don't know that it's really going to impact either of their careers at all. However, it is embarrassing for all Californians. It's got to be embarrassing for both of them, but this is a, I would nominate a dual winner last week's winner, speaker of the house, Kevin McCarthy, and also Congressman Eric Swalwell, who according to a daily beast story that broke this week, uh, which has not been denied by either party, by the way, the two of them got into a, a dust up in Congress uh, about a month ago during uh, during this apparently started during the uh, discussions about censuring Adam Schiff and Swalwell called Kevin McCarthy a weak man on the floor. He's, he's like yelling at him, you're a weak man. And apparently McCarthy was pretty corked about this. And the next day they run into each other in the hall and McCarthy says, if you say anything like that about me again, I'm going to kick your ass. <laughs> and Swalwell doesn't miss a beat and calls him a vernacular uh, word that I'm not going to use here, but let's just say wussy. 
it's kind of a similar, uh, mm-hmm. you know, being a wuss. And he said, you're a wuss. And McCarthy and he got nose to nose. And McCarthy said, say that again, and I'm going to kick your ass. <laughs> Swalwell said, according to witnesses, you are a, uh, and then the wuss. <laughs> and, and then McCarthy did nothing. So then you feel like maybe McCarthy, Swalwell won that won that particular debate, but really both of them look like morons. And uh, you know, this is really not what you want from your public officials. It certainly doesn't solve anything. It's embarrassing. Uh, you know, it just shows where we are as as a public that two of our uh, leading California lights in Congress are getting nose to nose and screaming obscenities at each other. Not good. You know, I, I agree with you on all those points. And I think those of us have been around the game a long time. I mean, we've look, these kinds of dust ups, I think they've happened far more than anybody knows. Um, going back to the beginning of the Republic, you know, um, we've had all kinds of these things happen uh, and, and go much further than what happened here. But, you know, we are in the modern era. Everyone's got a cell phone. Everyone's you know, got a camera, essentially, you got to be smarter than this. And look, I've, I've, I've dunked on Kevin McCarthy a lot in the course of doing this podcast, because I think, you know, uh, Kevin is somebody who we thought had a lot more integrity than he has shown at times in recent years. Um, And I'll just say, you know, he's in the leadership position there. Swalwell's behavior was completely unacceptable as well from everything we can glean. Kevin McCarthy is in a leadership position. Yeah. I don't care whatever else is going on. Somebody's in charge of the classroom, Kevin. You wanted the job, then act like it. I get it. No one likes to have their their integrity challenged or their, their whatever it is, their moral courage, their physical courage, what have you. You're the Speaker of the House. Eric Swalwell isn't. He's not even that important a member of, of his caucus. Why? Oh, uh, he's deep dis there. He's, well, he's very good on social media. I'm not really sure what else he can lay claim to. And, you know, you can't get yourself into situations like that. You're the leader of the entire House and definitely of your caucus. I, you know, I, it tells me maybe the pressure is getting him. A little yeah, bit. Yeah. I mean, managing that that crew of nut jobs that are on that side of the aisle. And I'm sorry, my my friends on the Republican side of the aisle, you know, privately you agree with me. Those people that we're talking, we know which part of that caucus we're talking about. I'm not talking about every Republican, but we know the the the, the actors in that group that give him heartburn. And we've talked about it before. If you can't handle that, if you can't handle all the stuff that comes with that, if you're going to let these things get get your goat and then you go act out maybe the job is too big for you and that's all i can say there so you have a suggestion for maybe a better option a more directly california worst week moment yeah i i mean i think it's it'd be very very hard within the the border of california here to find anybody who is having a worse week than alameda county da pamela price I mean, she hasn't really been in the job all that long, but, you know, if you're paying attention at all, we've seen what's going on with uh, crime statistics in in Oakland. We're seeing it, you know, every day on Twitter, somebody's posting 
new fresh video of, of you know people getting uh, getting assaulted on the streets and windows being broken and cars being stolen i mean the 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 numbers back all this stuff up i mean i think you know there are there are definitely defenders saying hey look these are not this is not as bad as it looks we're not in a dystopian hell here but i think it's very very clear when you look i, I think if i remember right violent crime in oakland is up 11% in the last year, robberies, 14%, vehicle theft, 33%. That, that's a lot. Okay, so that's all true. And to really put a fine point on it, she had a public meeting this week. Mm-hmm. And I saw pictures, there were lines out the door to get in. And she came in and tried to make a presentation. And they were like, yeah, we're not having your presentation. We want to talk about what's going on here. Uh, she got called out by the Oakland NAACP, so mm-hmm. that she should declare a state of emergency. I mean, none of this is what you want when you're the DA of Oakland, California, uh, oh, or anywhere. And but but you know, she's got a lot um, that's being thrown at her right now that is not necessarily her fault. She's, you know, it's an old cliche to say she's still learning where the bathrooms are. That's not true, but. Six months into the job, trying to trying to address what has become, you know, a a region wide problem for sure. I mean, yeah. look, folks, go across the bay; they're having similar problems in San Francisco. They're having similar oh, yeah, problems I, all over the country. This yeah, is- well, I think the big part of this is just probably countrywide, but I mean, it does get extreme. There was video floating around of a naked woman walking on the entrance to the Bay Bridge on an 80, uh, firing a gun at cars, thankfully did not hit anyone and was thankfully taken in uh, you know, without a problem. Uh, but stuff like that, you talk about dystopian, it does seem like something out of a movie. It's like, you know, uh, so I think this is not good. I do. I have read that, uh, there is a movement afoot to recall price. I don't know how realistic that is, but again, not something you want when you're a public official and, you know, she's only been in the job, as you say, six months. So this has got to be very stressful for Pamela. Well, and from what I understand of that meeting that you were talking about, it sounds like she came in with talking points. And when it became very clear that no one wanted to hear those talking points, uh, she kept trying to <laughs> get people to be okay with that and they were not. And so, uh, you know, there's probably some room there for her to read the room a little better. I mean, if you really want to get people on your side, I think in this case, she's really going to have to just bite the bullet and listen and try to come up with a plan. But, you know, what do we always say? If you're explaining, you're losing. Yeah. People exactly. that came to that meeting and the people that are, writing op-eds and the people that are, you know, issuing these letters are not, they're, they're not wanting to hear any more excuses. They don't need any more explaining. They don't need to hear the nuance of what your job is. They, they want to be able to get in their car and, you know, go to work and back and not worry about getting robbed and, and anything else. So I, I think she needs to do a better job of, of understanding what this situation is right now. And, and, you know, I, I don't think there's anyone that would dispute that right now. So but, she needs better messaging is what you're telling me. <laughs> well, you know, be- better messaging is a product of understanding the situation. And she definitely needs to understand her situation, I think, a little better. But it's also unfair to blame her for everything. 
Yeah, but that said, I I can't fathom how anybody's having a worse week right now in the state of California than her. This is a pretty bad one. Yep. So, all right. Well, next week I'm sure we'll have someone else. Uh, could be back to Kevin McCarthy. See, you know, <laughs> the nature the of his uh, on giving. You know what? Do, I don't know what we're going to do when we act, when we have a speaker not from California. I mean, how long have we had a speaker from California for so long now? For years yeah. and years. Uh, so you know, if, if we have a speaker from New York or Wisconsin or somewhere, we're just going to be at a loss. So absolutely. Well, all right, Rich, look, I, there's one thing I can rest. We all, I think, can rest assured on: people in California will continue to do things that get them in trouble. We will right. never. Although we you don't know, need the house to do that. One thing I do have to say, at least we don't have the California equivalent of Florida man. Like you say Florida man and everyone just knows what you're talking about. We don't have like California man or, you know, or Arinda man or, you know, Bakersfield man or anything like that. You know, we might be getting there someday, but. uh, Oh my goodness. Let us hope not. So, all right, Rich, (laughs) well, have a good, uh, have a good rest of your day. And we'll, we'll talk next week when we'll see who else had the worst week. Absolutely. Take care. And uh, thanks again to Kristen Go, And this is Rich Eisen with Cap Weekly for Tim Foster at Cap Weekly. We'll see you next time. The Capital Weekly Podcast is produced by Tim Foster for Open California. If you enjoyed today's episode, we hope you'll go onto iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a positive review. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week. The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by Tassin the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations.